The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us from remote locations around the world, and also new listeners who are tuning in from coast to coast on our growing affiliate network from Florida, Massachusetts, Virginia, and Maryland to California, Hawaii, and Washington, and every great state in between. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, former governor of Virginia and the man the Washington Post calls the hermit presidential candidate, Mr. Jim Gilmore, will be joining us to explain why he threw his hat in the ring and why Gilmore was shut out of the early televised debates. But before Mr. Gilmore joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. James Stewart Gilmore was born in Richmond, Virginia, and received his undergraduate and law degree from the University of Virginia. Between degrees, Gilmore enlisted in the United States Army, where he worked in counterintelligence. In 1993, Gilmore was elected Attorney General of Virginia, a position he held until 1997 when he made the decision to run for governor. In January 1998, Jim Gilmore became the 68th governor of Virginia, and he was governor when terrorists struck the Pentagon in his state on 9-11. And when the economy took a downturn, Gilmore proved his leadership once again, when he cut the spending across all agencies except education, a decision which saw student test scores rise across the board. Gilmore also reduced the tuition at public colleges and universities by 20%, and I would be remiss if I did not add that he was the first in the nation to appoint a Secretary of Technology. Mr. Gilmore is not new to the election process. He was a candidate in the 2008 presidential election and later launched an unsuccessful bid for the Senate. Today, Mr. Gilmore is the CEO of the Free Congress Foundation and serves on the board of the National Rifle Association. And on July 29th of this year, Mr. Gilmore filed papers with the Federal Election Commission, marking the beginning of his 2016 campaign for the GOP presidential nomination. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former governor of Virginia, Mr. Jim Gilmore. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Gilmore. Rebecca, thank you very much. I appreciate you telling your listeners about all that. I don't sound like a hermit candidate, do I? That's okay. <laughs> no. no, you've been in the public eye quite a bit, but I do think that there are a number of listeners today that might not be as familiar with you as they are the other candidates. And speaking of the other candidates, we, we have a crowded field of presidential candidates this election. So maybe a good place to start today's conversation is to ask you why you felt a need to add your name to the roster. 
You know, Rebecca, I have uh, spent a lifetime uh, building the credentials and the experience to actually help my country. Uh, and I'm very deeply concerned right now about two principal problems. Number one is the, the really crying need to build this economy back up and get people's jobs back into place and get wages going up again. Every place I go, every place I hear, people are afraid for their jobs, they're afraid for the careers of their children, and they want to see somebody who's actually going to take charge and try to you know, get us into the pattern of growing the economy. Everything we're doing right now is counterproductive, and I want to do something to really help. Secondly, I have a deep experience in foreign policy that the other governors and former governors just don't have. Uh, United States Army veteran, chairman of the National Commission on Homeland Security for the United States for five years, governor during the 9-11 attack, uh, stationed with counterintelligence at NATO, a degree in foreign policy on the Russian studies. I, I have a, a strong history in this the others just don't have. I'm just not, Rebecca, going to sit around and do nothing while I watch my country go down the tubes. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, I ought to be the president. Now the question is, can I put the politics together to make it work? And this is a particularly challenging year, but it's also a, a year of opportunity to maybe really try to do something to help the country. Well, you got that right. It it uh, seems to boil down to uh, politics and funding uh, when you strip everything else away. Uh, but let's talk about national security for just a moment, something that you have a great deal of ex- experience uh, in. Um we seem to have several disparate and distinct issues, not just one single overarching challenge. For example, we don't have the ground intelligence we once had, and diplomacy has also largely failed when it comes to terrorism in the Middle East. And then we add to that cyber attacks originating in China and Russia, and then we pile on the effect sequestration has had on these drastic military cuts. These are all separate issues. So of the four I just mentioned, uh, which in your view has to be handled first? All this is tied together, Rebecca, and I'm, I'm glad you've got that, that larger worldview uh, than just trying to segment everything. Listen, we, uh, we used to have uh, a military preparedness in this country that would allow us to address two crises in the world at the same time. That has deteriorated. Now we have a defense posture that will at best allow us to confront one challenge at a time. That is not safe for this country. It's very dangerous. So you asked me a direct question. What is the most important thing that we need to do right off the bat? The answer is, well, number one, we have to have decisive presidential leadership someone who actually is projecting to the world that America is strong and is willing to stand up for our interests and our values. And that makes a difference in the world. It means that we won't necessarily be pushed so much or confronted so much or bullied so much the way we are today on at least four occasions. Secondly, we have to take the sequester off the defense budget. We just simply cannot continue to see this diminished spending. It's causing our Navy to be in a position where it can't respond. Uh, We don't have enough surface ships to do the job. We're not able to keep our aircraft carriers on station the way that we're supposed to. We're lacking a Marine combat brigade. The U.S. Army has deteriorated as a result of the overseas incursions and has not been rebuilt. Uh, These are all serious challenges that have to be confronted. Uh, So uh, these are the things I would do. And finally, by the way, uh, I have a long experience, as you know, in the terrorism issues. I chaired the National Commission on Homeland Security and Terrorism for the United States government for five years. Uh, And I know what I think we need to do. And let's just start in the Middle East. Uh, I think we have to build a new NATO in the Middle East. 
I've seen it work in Europe. I know it can work in the Middle East, but it's going to require uh, ag- aggressive American, assertive American leadership to work together with our allies in the Middle East to bring some order out of chaos before we really end up in a major war. So uh, those are the starting points that I would make. Now, the beauty of NATO, of course, was that if one country that's a member country of NATO is attacked, it's the same as attacking any of the others. It is. It was in Europe in that model. Yes. Uh, because would would you suggest a, a similar model? Not necessarily. I think that's a, a great point of discussion. Charles Krauthammer actually asked me that question on Fox News one night. Uh, I don't think that it's necessary to get into a mutual war commitment in an unstable area that's been allowed to deteriorate. The reason it worked in Europe was because it was relatively stable in Europe. And the challenge there was to make sure that we that the Russians understood that an attack against one would be an attack against all. And it was a very commonality of interest across that community. We're lacking that in the Middle East. We've allowed that thing to deteriorate so far that I think that it's very volatile and a major war could break out that there at any moment. But I do believe that the ability to act in concert together is something that is possible. But they won't act in concert without American affirmative leadership. And I would propose to put together a unique NATO type of operation that wouldn't necessarily commit us to a war if some people over there decide to go to war, but would create an opportunity for stability and peace. Now, I just have a minute before I've got to go to a hard break. But let me ask you this. Do you feel that it was a mistake on the part of NATO not to admit Russia to NATO? Yeah, I don't think that we probably needed to admit NATO to NATO uh, Russia. Uh, And I don't think the Russians really wanted to play that role. Uh, I feel much more uh, safer having a situation of stability in Europe, and that would not mean the admission of Russia to NATO. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have to take our first break, but, but stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from presidential candidate Mr. Jim Gilmore. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Cellars wines? The best place is your computer and go to CaracccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door. And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, (laughs) I've ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party, and it always has. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea, or find us online at CaracccioliCellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. 
If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at tableau.com slash Costa. That's tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? Hello, I'm Paul, a student at Hillsdale College. Here is my professor, Dr. Larry Arn, on the separation of church and state. America's founders believed in the separation of church and state, in that the country was not to have an official religion or an official sect. But that did not mean that government was to be hostile to religion, or even indifferent to religion, as many today argue. In fact, America's founding document, the Declaration of Independence, includes both a reference to God as the author of the laws of nature and a confident assertion that human beings are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Far from being hostile or indifferent to religion, America's founders understood the theology of the Declaration to be an essential part of the education of citizens. This Constitution Minute was brought to you by Hillsdale College. To join the national conversation on the Constitution, go to constitutionminute.org. the sky, kids climbing trees, we got oceans of food and everything we need, I know someday, somehow, everyone will see, it's got to start somewhere, even if it's only you and me. Sundays, 10 till noon. Join the circle of love and light around our nation on Remember America. Sundays, 10 till noon. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former governor of Virginia and presidential candidate Jim Gilmore. And before the break, you were saying that you'd be in favor of a NATO-like organization in the Middle East, but without the unilateral commitment to support every country in war, given the instability there. Now, in addition to your experience in the area of national security, uh, you also saw the state of Virginia through some very tough economic times. If I understand your economic plan for America. uh Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 